This is the Early Career Research Forum. The focus of our forum is to provide members with opportunities to access peer and mentor support, develop links with senior researchers, participate in capacity building workshops, and share knowledge across disciplines. If you would like to learn more about the work we do, or if any of our listeners would like to become a member of the ECRF, check eligibility and subscribe free at www.professionalpolitifhub.com forward slash research forward slash ECRF. Welcome to our first podcast of 2021. We welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet or direct questions to at AIIHBC underscore ECRF. Today's podcast will present an early career researcher engaged in research relating to advanced care planning. We are honoured now to be joined by Deirdre McKenna, who's a social worker with over 30 years experience. Her background is in palliative and end-of-life care, and she brings a strong community development perspective to her work. Welcome to the ECRF podcast, Deirdre. Oh, thank you, Stacey. Thank you for having me. Um, and Stacey, I suppose it's, it's important just to alert your listeners um, to the fact that, you know, because of the content of what we're going to be chatting about today, that that can maybe touch into a recent experience they've had of whether it's grief or, or whether they've been recently bereaved or whether currently maybe someone is very, very ill. So I think it's important that we just alert your listeners to the fact that, you know, this could have an emotional impact and maybe just to be very mindful of themselves as they listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Deirdre. Deirdre, I've read your recent publication, The Heart of Living and Dying, Upstream and Advanced Care Planning into Community Conversations in the Public Domain in Northern Ireland. And I must say I found it most insightful. Can you introduce the listener to your research topic and give us a little background as to why advanced care planning needs to be brought kind of out of the palliative care and into the public domain? Oh, I'll do my best. Um, Stacey, a few years ago, uh, 2017, I, I worked in specialist palliative care team, multidisciplinary team. I worked as a social worker and I would have helped um, someone with a palliative diagnosis and their people important to them to have what is known as an advanced care planning conversation. And really what advanced care planning, Stacey, is it's an opportunity for people to, to think about um, what really matters to them in their living. And then uh, when they, they think of, of toward end of life, what, what is really important to them then? And I find as a social worker, social work practitioner, having these conversations, I felt it was quite late in the day to when following a, a, a diagnosis of serious illness, because there is, that's like a crisis coming into a person's life and into their family system. So it's very difficult for someone to, to take time to think about what, what really matters to me, what is important to me, because they're still trying to get their head and their heart around the fact that they have been given a diagnosis mm. um, of serious uh, ill health. So I thought it's really important then to, to bring these, um, these conversations out into the public domain, because all of us, all of us are mortal. And while we don't often think about it, you know, each of us will one day find ourselves at end of life and will die. Uh, but we rarely take the time to pause and think about think about that, 
the reality of that. And we tend to be more uh, thinking that, yeah, that happens to everybody else. But I, in fact, am the exception to that rule because I am immortal. So I, I thought it would be really important to bring these um, these conversations out of the crisis of serious ill health and into the public domain where all of us, irrespective of health status or condition or age, mm. can just take the time to think, what matters to me in my living? And when I think ahead to my final years, what would be important to me then? And to talk to people who are important to me about the fruits of my reflections. So I have an, offered a number of these conversations since 2017. My research then was uh, an opportunity to evaluate the effect or uh, of the heart of living and dying as, a, as, a, as one way of bringing these conversations out to members of the public and to see how and how far does it actually help people have these important conversations. Yeah, and tell me, how does this approach help patients and their families, as well as ourselves personally and professionally? Well, I suppose what people would have said, uh, participants in the Heart of Living and, and Dying would have said, do you know what, taking an hour and a half or two hours out, just to take time to move from my head to my heart to think, what really matters to me in my life now was really important for them. They found it almost therapeutic in having that opportunity and realized that taking the time to think about that allowed them to make choices then in keeping with what was important to them. So, for example, people would have said um, in some of those Heart of Living and Dying conversations, you know, family is really important to me and keeping in touch with family is really important to me. So if that's the case, doing that in when health is still good and when we feel well, we can make choices in our day to day that ensure that family has a central place in how we spend our time and the quality of time that we spend. Other people would talk about nature and how important that is to them or faith and how important that is to them. So by actually taking the time to reflect on it, it allows people then to say, well, let, let me make choices that reflect where my values lie. And for people with serious ill health or a palliative diagnosis, taking the time to, to have those conversations and speak to people who are important to them has a couple of benefits. Um, and research would say that it actually has the potential to enhance people's quality of life for however long they live. Uh, another benefit is, as I say, about choosing uh, for the life that is remaining to us, choosing well and in accordance with what matters to us, what is important to us. And for for family or carers or relatives, um, I mean, one of the most reassuring things is to know what your loved one would want or wouldn't want if they ever found themselves in that situation where a doctor, for example, was asking them, what would Deirdre want, do you think? So they can answer that question with absolute confidence because they've had the chat with Deirdre, mm -hmm. with the person. And that can provide great solace to um, family members or close friends or carers, but 
particularly as they grieve, because they have a sense, a confidence that they were in a position to honour the wishes of the person they loved. Um, and that is so consoling. And as I say, as well as that, it can be really helpful as, you know, the, the pain of grief is bad enough without fearing that maybe you made wrong decisions on behalf of the person you loved. So those are a couple of, I think, fairly compelling reasons, Stacey, to have these, these important conversations for any of us, but particularly for, for those among us who, who are living with very serious illness. I couldn't agree more. I suppose what stands out for me is the whole quality of life yeah. and that it just makes us, I suppose, just concentrate on what's important to us now. Absolutely. You know, and prioritise those things. I suppose the other thing, just going back to the research too, um, Stacey, without getting too morbid about it, is to say that those conversations very often are quite lighthearted. I think we, as a as a nation, you know, we have a, we have a, a lovely kind of dark humour uh, around managing taboo or difficult subjects, um, and sometimes we do it with with a a very a strong degree of of levity, really, uh, to help us handle what can be difficult. So, being able to to be gently facilitated or helped, guided to have those important conversations, I think is important because very often, you know, I'm afraid to say something to the person I love because I don't want to upset them or distress them. They're afraid to say anything to me because they're afraid that I'll become tearful or distressed. And people tend to tiptoe around each other then thinking about this fact that we're mortal, but afraid to broach it with people who are important to us. So. This advanced care planning in public domain, I think, enables people or frees up that conversation that, as I say, can provide such solace and such reassurance mm. for all of us now and when the time comes um, in our final years and end of life. Yeah. And besides those fears of upsetting loved ones, be it by you bringing up the conversation or the loved one bringing it up to you, is there any other challenge or what challenges do you see with trying to bring advanced care planning into our communities and home? I think probably what it's called, you know, advanced care planning means very little to, 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 to very mm -hmm. few people. Um, uh, I suppose those of us in, particularly in palliative care or with that kind of a background, we know what we mean. But advanced care planning doesn't mean a lot to people. So finding a way to frame it that makes sense to people. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I would have talked about the heart of living and dying, because I think that is a wee bit clearer about what the, what the conversation is going to be about, if it's about the heart of living and of dying. So people have a chance to, to understand what it is they're going to be they're going to be talking about. So I think that's one of the one of the difficulties. Of course, now with the pandemic and restrictions on gatherings and face-to-face and -face gatherings, I had to write a virtual version of it to enable people to have the still have the conversations with a wee bit of guidance and support to do it. But you know, we are not good at talking about we pre-COVID we weren't good at talking about dying. And I remember someone saying about the, the Irish are very good around dying, you know, I, and I disagree with that. I think we're really good at death. 
uh, and what, what would have been available to us in our rituals and our commemorations and our honouring of, of people's lives, which has become really troublesome now because of COVID. And I think we're feeling the loss of those opportunities for ritual and for, for honouring people's lives. But I think we are, we're a bit uneasy in, in talking truthfully and honestly from our hearts about maybe fears, maybe hopes, concerns um, and legacy pieces. I, I think we're just, there's an awkwardness in us uh, at broaching those kind of subjects. Mm. Uh, and I think any kind of guidance or help um, that we can have to, to facilitate those conversations, I think, can be useful. And the other thing, too, of course, Stacey, is for some of us, it's easier to speak to a stranger, to someone who isn't uh, a close relative or a close relative. For some of us, it's easier to have these conversations with professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's OK, too, um, as long as people are offered the opportunity and reassured that it isn't all doom and gloom. It doesn't have to be. You know, that these are just conversations that need to become as normalised as uh, birth plans. Yeah. You know, planning for for the arrival of of a new baby. That we see it and recognise it as in the cycle of life. I couldn't agree more with you, Jenny Wiley. And tell me, what implications does your research have for your clinical practice? Or how has it formed your clinical practice? Well, I, I suppose the, the main piece was really about the timing of advanced care plan and conversations, Stacey. Uh, as I said to you from practice, I, I, I recognised how late in the day um, it was. I mean, it was still fairly powerful um, therapeutic conversations in my experience. But I, I think the earlier we can have those conversations, the better. Yeah. Better for everyone. Um, people are able to maybe speak more freely without that fear, or when death is that little bit further away from us. Interestingly, for um, those health and social care professionals who attended as participants, some of the Heart of Living and Dying sessions, they would have described, and, and the publication um, describes this, that they would have said they actually haven't had the conversation themselves. They felt that their practice would be better because it had removed some of the fear for them in broaching these subjects with people they worked with or provided service to. So they would have said that their confidence and a, a level of competence increased because they had faced it themselves. Yeah. And I think for clinical practice or, or social workers, in our practice, I think there is, you know, we're so used to, to being the ones doing for or, you know, providing a service to. Yeah. And I think there is a qualitative difference in my conversation with you about living and dying. If I have faced it in myself, yeah. um, if I have taken time to reflect and consider how am I with, with tears? How am I with managing distress in myself? How am I at facing the reality of my own mortality? That is going to keep me humble and compassionate in my service to others. So as a clinician or practitioner, qualitatively, there is a difference in how I am with you and the relationship 
and the the safety I create for you, the emotional safety I am able to create for you so that you can risk having that heart conversation with me and that I am sitting there with a real honest sense of the privilege that it is for me to be entrusted with the fruits of your reflections in relation to what matters to you in your living and dying. So my practice has to change. It has to change for those reasons. That's brilliant. And I suppose it's the next question is going to what key take home messages do you want to leave our listeners with today? And I suppose that's one major one is to actually we need to experience that ourselves. We need to face our own mortality. We need to have those discussions, feel the challenges of those, feel the as you said, the tears of those conversations as well. Is there any other take-home messages that you want to leave our listener with? Yes, I I suppose, interestingly, um, Stacey, the final thing maybe that I would offer as a take-home message is one of the the prompt questions um, I would use in the Heart of Living and Dying is about, you know, when you die, what do you want people to be saying about you? You know, what are they going to be saying about you? You know, and and you know, no, we don't speak ill of the dead. So people tend to be a lot more charitable uh, at a, at a wake or at that time than maybe they would absolutely <laughs> at other times. So charity aside, um, you know, if I want people to say, well, do you know what, Deirdre was? She was a generous woman. She was a kind woman. She was an honest woman. She, um, if that's what I want people to be saying about me when I die, then I have an opportunity to start living my life in such a way as to ensure that that actually is the legacy I leave. So having these conversations, taking the time to think about what is really important to me when everything else is cut away, what really matters to me, provides me with an opportunity to choose now and live in such a way that the legacy I leave behind is what I would want it to be. That's a brilliant take-home message. Deirdre, I would like to sincerely thank you for joining us today and sharing your research on bringing advanced care planning into the public domain. Uh, It gives us a real food for thought of how as Irish only do death well through our rituals and our remembrance services. And this really highlights the work that needs to be done to prepare ourselves prior to serious ill health and end of life. Again, listeners, we welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet our direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF. From all of us at the ECRF, thank you for listening. And if any of our listeners would like to share their experience of being an early career researcher or attending a palliative care event, please contact at Power Stace at Twitter. Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you, Stacey.